A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheist waren die Brüder in Amerika. Von Kaufen schaffen es es gibt Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide. Good to gather with Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode has been generously sponsored by a dedicated listener of Jewish History Soundbites <clears throat> in memory of Rabbi Cheskel, Ben Rabbi Yisrael Shalom, may his memory be a blessing. This episode is going to be part five um, about the Chassam Soifer, Reb Meisha Soifer, Reb Meisha Schreiber, the legendary uh, Rav and leader in Paisik and um, in Preshburg, today Bratislava, in the 19th century. And we already have done four parts on him scattered over the last, I don't know, year or so. And now is part five. And one would question, why is it necessary to have a fifth segment or installment on the Chassam Seifer? Um, maybe we'll even have a sixth one one day. Um, but definitely there is. There's so much to talk about him. And he has such an incredible legacy that there's always more material and more angles uh, to explore more parts of his life and leadership. He was just such a fascinating and, and also very impactful, uh, left such a great uh, in, a mark on Jewish history. So you want to check out one through four. Um, so the part one we did, and I'll, I'll post all the links, obviously, in the show notes, but you definitely want to catch up on, on uh, the Chassam Seifer episodes uh, if you haven't heard them yet. The part one I did a while ago was on the Chassam Seifer and his family, his descendants. Um, I think it was a brief overview of his biography as well. Part two was an overview and clarification of the slogan most attributed to the Chassam Seifer, which was Chadash Asr Min Atayra, an idea of how he viewed the modern era and its challenges and how he hoped to confront those challenges. Uh, number three was his role in the community of Pressburg, where he was the rabbi for the last 33 years of his life. I touched on his um, yeshiva that he opened and led there as well. And part four was a throwback. It went back to his early years and his childhood in Frankfurt and his relationship with his various different teachers, especially with Reb Nassim Adler, his most important and famous teacher. So now we're up to part five, and this episode will explore his halachic views and how they've developed with time, uh, specifically three different stages. And he, in his great wisdom and vision, 
when he saw specific challenges that traditional Jewry in Central Europe were facing, and he felt that different tools and different mechanisms uh, will be useful in confronting those challenges, and that was his greatness. Uh, really, it's a synthesis of his greatness as a leader and a Pisic rolled into one. So it's not just his halachic facet, but really, because he didn't write it as a halachic work, he wrote it as responsa. In other words, he was a living and acting rabbi in, to a real you know, a reality, that a context, a specific historic context that he was um, viewing through the prism of halacha. And therefore, it's a very, very um, nice overlap between his role as a halachic decisor and through his tshuvas, his response, his halachic response, and how he saw himself as a leader in the modern era and facing those specific challenges. And I want to open this topic with a um, with a you know something because there are three different stages here and they're they 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 are they're a development of how the Chassam Seifer saw the challenges of his time and how it played through in halacha and I see that there's many paradoxes in the Chassam Seifer's life um, and there's change there's innovation. He was a great innovator, both in his life, his leadership, and his psaq. And I think that's part of his greatness, his everlasting legacy. I don't think it's a problem that there's paradoxes. I think that's the solution. The Chassam Seifer wasn't stagnant. He was a great, great uh, mechadish, a great innovator, a great... Uh, and even though he's chadash asr minatayra, but the very idea was, is that he he found within the wellsprings of Tyra and le- Jewish leadership and traditional Judaism and halacha um, great ways to to innovate and to make it relevant and not only relevant but flourish and exciting and 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 new and everlasting and that's part of his legacy. If he would have just been someone who said the way he confronted with all the challenges of modernity by saying. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, just keep keep going as usual. Don't change anything. Keep keep everything as usual. Then we probably wouldn't remember the Chassam Seifer as someone unique. What made him special and made him such a great impact was that he was able to renew the old. Uh, he he didn't just uh, he didn't just uh, uh, um, wasn't very he wasn't passive. He was quite active. And with that in mind, I want to bring in right here in the beginning a very odd comment on. Twitter of all places, um, um, that that in response to something that um, um, that was posted from one of my trips about that I met, spoke about the Chassam Seifer, and I want to go through his this anonymous person's comment and explain why it doesn't really make sense. It was in response to something I said to a group on a recent trip when we were in Bratislava by the Chassam Seifer. And and I mentioned this, what I just said now, that the Chassam Sefer was a great innovator, and that one innovation of his was the slogan, Chadash Asr Menatayra. Why? Because if it's attributed to the Chassam Sefer, then that means that before him, it was not said. It means he's the first one who said it. So if he's the one who's first one who said it, then it's new. If it's new, then it's Chadash Asr Menatayra, right? And that obviously that's a rhetorical um, comment or question, whatever. It's circular logic. But the point was to make this distinction, uh, it's a beautiful distinction, in the thought process uh, of the Chassam Seifer, that Chadash Aser, maybe new things are forbidden, but Chidush, Mutter, novelty, 
uh, innovation within within the parameters of traditional Judaism is not just mutter, it's not just permitted, but it's actually vital um, in his world. So a short clip of me saying this was posted on Twitter, to which our anonymous person responded, on Twitter, mind you. The irony here is really something special, right? He's responding on social media, which is a quite a modern uh, means of, of, of communication. He writes, and now I'm quoting, I'm quoting the anonymous person, he was not introducing something new. He was bringing it back. Highly nuanced, nuanced people have many complexities that can seem contradictory because of how intricate they are. When someone possesses the Chassam Soifer's approach, there's no need for any additional movements or gimmicks. The Chassam Soifer's approach aligns precisely with how the Torah was given. So, so... um uh, uh, that's that's the end of the comment on Twitter. So of course it's an irony because the, his this person's means of of communicating his view is Twitter, right? The Chassam Seifer didn't use Twitter, so you're using something new to communicate the message of the Chassam Seifer, and uh, that's exactly the point. That's why the reasoning is flawed. The point is is not whether the Chassam Seifer aligns with how the Torah was given. We would hope that all of traditional Judaism um, aligns with how the Torah was given, not exclusively the Chassam Seifer's approach. Um, the idea was is that he saw a world which was threatened. He felt that traditional Judaism was threatened. He didn't just lean back and say, continue everything as usual because this is how the Torah was given, so we're just going to continue it this way. If he had said that, we would never even remember who the Chassam Seifer was today. The point of the Chassam Seifer was that he stood up, and it was quite active in his leadership, and he had a lot to say, and he had a lot of novelty, and he had a lot of chiddish, and he had a lot of uh, very modern and new mechanisms of how to defend tradition and of how to strengthen the Torah and its approach and its education. And and he was so successful at doing that because he was able to think out of the box and because he was such a creative and dynamic thinker and doer, not just thinker, he was a great doer as well. That's why the reasoning is flawed. So that's, that's what I want to get into and view it through his... Um, his his leadership, his roles in leadership, and as a Paisik, where the two are interrelated, um, because his his piske halacha that are expressed through his chuvis in in chuvis chasam seifer are very often expressions of his leadership as well, because he's asked questions, especially in his later years, from all over Europe, uh, especially all over Central Europe, and he um, and he is responding based on how he's perceiving the threats and the challenges that modernity is presenting at that specific time. And we're going to focus on three phases or stages of his psaac throughout his career in the rabbinate and how they were impacted by how he saw his changing role of leadership in a developing and modernizing world at a very fast pace. And these are all external changes happening in the world that were that were changing the Jewish world um, um, at, the, at this time. Um, so the, the stage one, um, and I'm going to try to do it as structured as I can, which is how I like to do things, not always am I successful, but the way I want to do it is that I, that I say, again, based on Moz Khan, I you know, said this every episode, basically, um, based on his research and his book, but, um, but I want to structure it in a way that in each um, of these three stages of his life, we're going to see how his 
halachic world develops, it's, um, it's, I want to talk about where he was holding in life and what the Jewish world of his time looked like, and then move on to his approach. So how, what was his response? What was his halachic approach? And then give some examples um, where, where it would illustrate that approach. So there will be like three parts to each stage. hope that was clear. Either way, stage one was when he's a young rabbi in Matusdorf, uh, around the year 1800. He's a rabbi there for nearly a decade. I spoke about that in previous episodes. This is known as Bergenland, or the area of the Sheva Kehilais, the seven communities of Bergenland, which are ancient uh, prestigious, important Jewish communities uh, of that area. It's Central Europe. Today it's partly in Austria, Czechoslovakia, that that that, that area of the world. Um, the Chassam Seifer is not quite famous yet. He is a rising star, so people have some renown, but he's not as famous as he would be later on in Preshburg. Um, his Rebbe, Reb Nassim Adler, is still alive, and in fact, he had moved back to Frankfurt, and Hassan Seifer was corresponding with him, and he actually consulted with him in several areas, uh, several letters they had back and forth, and, and, and consults with him on halacha and on psak that he has. Um, so Hassan Seifer, being that he's still young, and he hadn't left Frankfurt that long ago, and he's still corresponding with his Rebbe in Frankfurt, so he still has these strong connections. Now, he had strong connections to Frankfurt throughout his life, but now it's especially uh, prevalent. And to Frankfurt, to the city of his youth where he was born, and its customs, and its ancient Ashkenaz uh, customs. And he, Chazam Seifer, is still on the youngish side, um, and he's still late 30s, not that young, he's still, he's already quite a, quite a Torah scholar, and quite a brilliant Torah scholar, and, um, and he already had some, quite some experience in previous positions in Prushtitz and Dresdnitz as a as a teacher of Torah, as a rabbi of the town, Matzdorf is already a more prestigious position, um, but he's still not at the prestige and the experience and facing the challenge. He's not facing the challenge yet yet that he would face later on in life from the outside. But he's already, like I said, a brilliant Torah scholar, very brave, confident um, in his abilities, already exhibiting leadership skills and halachic psak skills. And his approach at this time is, is a, whenever it comes up as a clash, obviously, it's not in every psaac that he gives, but um, his, he has an approach, he has a approach at this time, it's not the approach that he has, he has one of his approaches at this time is that to, about local custom, especially, specifically the local Frankfurt custom of his youth, the Frankfurt area, it's a district, it's a, an area of southern Germany, um, that he refers to uh, of the old Ashkenaz, the Rhine River Valley, we would call it, of his youth. The old Ashkenaz, medieval scholars of the Rishonim who lived in Ashkenaz in that area. And he glorifies that custom and that halachic tradition, especially when it clashes with what he perceives as the Polish Ashkenaz tradition, as expressed through the Psak of the Ramah, the great father and teacher of Polish Jewry, and who textualizes the halach in the Shulchan Aruch, Isserlish of the 16th century, and he feels that very often clashes with the old customs of Frankfurt, and even more so in the generation immediately preceding the Chassam Seifer's leadership in the Naidib Yehuda, 
who also came from Poland and has an outsized influence in Central Europe, and he brings with him the traditions of Poland, besides for being an incredibly creative Paisik in his own merits, the Naidi Behuda, Rabbi Cheska Landau, but he has many, many students. He had a very prominent yeshiva in Prague, and he has many students who are now rabbis all across Central Europe, and they are perpetuating the legacy and the halachic legacy of the Naidi Behuda, which Chazam Seifer feels is expressive of the old Polish Ashkenaz Ramah style halacha, as opposed to what the Chazam Seifer feels is the Frankfurt local minig, and he defends it very, very passionately that the, that the Frankfurt custom is legitimate, and we shouldn't be overwhelmed by the the Ramah halacha of Polish Ashkenaz, and it shouldn't be that everyone has to follow the Ramah, and everyone has to follow the Polish Ashkenaz, because we in Germany, we in Ashkenaz, have an authentic tradition that goes back for centuries. And one of the examples that takes place at this time, with another rabbi, not far away, in Kobelsdorf, which is right nearby Matzdorf. Rabbi Avram Rubinstein, who's also a Polish rabbi, so they come from different geographical areas, and they have different worldviews as far as halacha is concerned, and they have this halachic dispute, which gets into several different issues. It starts with a question about shaving during the three weeks, which is actually coming up this week, um, um, during the three weeks between Shavasar Batamas and Tishabav, um, under extenuating circumstances, um, he's meeting with government officials, whatever it is, and he and he the Chassam Seifer advises him to wait to be a sandik at a bris. So you know, combine a few heterim, and I'm not going to get into the whole all the halachic parameters because a it's it's not for the context of this podcast, and b because I'll sound like a, a fool because I don't know it that well. But I'm looking at the historical context, obviously. And the clash happens here because the Chassam Seifer goes with an Ashkenaz Frankfurt tradition, which would tend to be lenient in this regard, in this extenuating circumstance regarding shaving during the three weeks, and especially what the role is of a Sandik, as opposed to what the way the Naidi Yehuda, for instance, saw a Sandik, who he was quite dismissive of the role, he didn't see it as that special, um, and the and and therefore the Serb of Ron Rubinstein is is this is this um, is is clashing with Chazam Seifer, with Chazam Seifer defending the Frankfurt custom. And Rabbi Rubinson is saying, no, there's the Ramah Polish custom, especially the last generation we have, the Naidi Behuda, who, who was the great Paisik, who came from Poland to Central Europe. And the Chazam Seifer, he's, he's quite uh, expressive, quite passionate about saying the local custom should prevail. The local Frankfurt custom is strong, it's an authentic tradition, and therefore we should not be overwhelmed by the Ramah and just say, okay, that's Ashkenaz, whatever the Ramah says, and... Uh, and that's the end of the end of the story. So that's the early stage of the Chassam Seifer. And then we confront a very different Chassam Seifer later on in life, and that's stage two. Stage two, the Chassam Seifer is already the rabbi in Preshburg. He becomes the rabbi there in 1806, remains there for the rest of his life until his passing in 1839, 33 years. And this is where he already gained renown as a great leader, famous leader, famous rabbi, famous Paisik. He's fielding questions from... Um, rabbis and, and 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 especially students of his, they are that's a significant measure of his own success. Is that his own students are young rabbis out in the field, and he's fielding their questions, um, and this um, becomes a bulk of a large section of his uh, Shilas and Shuvis later on in life. 
and he's he's people are turning to him for halachic guidance from all over the place. And now it's like on an international scale. And through many of the questions, he's confronting the challenges to tradition brought by modernity. And he he sees the threats of of modernity that is uh, that to tradition, which he feels as a leader, and and uh, uh, he needs to defend. And here we see a significant shift in his halachic thinking. All of a sudden, I guess it's not all of a sudden, these things are always gradual. All of a sudden, what we see as a new train of thought in the Ksam Seifer is the Ramah is never to be disputed. There is this collective Ashkenaz identity from across Europe, from Germany to Poland and everything in between. All Ashkenaz rabbis collectively across Europe are as if they're in one Bezdin, one rabbinical court of the of a great Ashkenaz city. That's how he views it, and he expresses this in many, many tshuvas of that time. Um, one one story was, uh, again, this is the Napoleonic era, in the shadow of the Napoleon Bezdin. So there was a a similar, not really, a, a, not Napoleon Bezdin, excuse me, the Napoleon uh, Sanhedrin. So not exactly the Sanhedrin, but another similar Napoleonic rabbinical court was convened in Westphalia which fell under Napoleon's influence in the early 1800s. And in 1810, this rabbinical, whatever it was, um, it, it, they, they uh, permitted the eating, the consumption of kidneys on Pesach. And it was under specific circumstances. I'm not going to get into the whole details now. And of course, we know of many, many instances throughout Jewish history that under uh, very specific circumstances that kidneys were permitted. Um, I think the Chassam Seifer in that tshuva even says that he himself permitted it to certain people under very specific circumstances. If I recall correctly, the Rabbi Yitzchak Khan Inspector did that also in Russia during a time of famine or something along those lines. You can ask your local Orthodox rabbi, obviously. But here it was seen as a, a something much more broad and using the tools of reform, of modernity, that it's not relevant anymore. And though that was like some underlying reasoning there that the Chassam Seifer felt was problematic. Um, there was another story there uh, around the same time regarding shaving on Cholamayr in Preshburg, in the Chassam Seifer's town himself. So in other words, this was at home. This didn't come from a question from some uh, questioner far away. This was in, in his home turf, so to speak. And the problem here was compounded by the fact that the Knight of Yehuda himself was the one who came up with a limited permissibility of shaving on Cholomayr. And now the Chassam Seifer had to contend with this with the great shadow of the Naidi Behuda, and how would he deal with that? And that led, of course, to another broader question about the fact that many people were shaving with a razor, which was absolutely forbidden, and the Chassam Seifer was confronting that challenge as well. There was another, another uh, story at the same time, and I'm getting to a point, so I'm just citing several examples. The Chassam Seifer was sparring with the Yismach Meishe, Rav Meishe Teitelboim of Il in eastern Hungary, Chassam right. Seifer is Oberland in Western Hungary, Northwestern Hungary, in the Austro-Hungarian Empire, in the Habsburg Empire. And Yismach Meishe is in the East, in Unterland. And he's, of course, a Hasidic tzaddik. And there's a discussion, but of course, the two are very close. Um, and the, there's this discussion between the two um, regarding the Hasidic uh, nusach, the Hasidic form of prayer, versus the Ashkenaz collective tradition, which the Chassam Seifer was defending. And 
as I mentioned in previous episodes about the Chassam Sefer, he wasn't too keen on the Hasidic uh, deviation from Ashkenaz custom, uh, to say the least. He was quite opposed to it. And this comes up in that discussion as well. Um, there's another uh, another challenge that the Chassam Sefer faces at around the same time. This is all in the... I don't know, the years between his arriving in Preshburg, 1806, 1807, to like 1814, 1815, the first like decade or so of his time in Preshburg. That's what I'm focusing on now. Um, There's the, or maybe a little later, to like 1819, 1820, a little more than the first decade, okay? Um, So there's the issue of the first Reformed temple in Hamburg in Germany, and all the vast changes in tradition and halacha that the this reformed temple is doing and regarding the customs of the of the prayer and not just customs the actual halacha and prayer and synagogue service and all the issues that the traditional Judaism was opposing the reformed temple in Hamburg which is worthy of an episode of its own but the Sefer was one of the many uh, traditional rabbis who was quite concerned with what was going on in the reformed temple in Hamburg and he uh, um, voiced his opposition. Um, and all these things, all these things, the kitneus and the shaving on Cholomite and shaving with a razor and the Hasidim doing a different nusach of davening and the, the Reformed Temple in Hamburg and many, many other uh, examples. Uh, there was a story of, uh, of when is the cherem of Rabbeinu Gershem relevant uh, um, his dispute that the Chassam Seifer carried out with Reb Meisha Mintz uh, who was the rabbi of what was known as the Oyvin Yashan, the old Oyvin in in, uh, in Hungary. Today it's part of Budapest. Um, about the relevance uh, in in which cases the Cherem of Rabbeinu Gershom remains relevant. There was questions regarding the parameters of a trefa um, and um, and and all these things. The the Chassam Sefer formulates his position based on this collective Ashkenaz identity. The Ramah is the father of Ashkenaz, and he's the undisputed leader in Halacha, and we all have to follow him collectively. And Ashkenaz is the geographical area of continental Europe from France and Germany in the west all the way to Poland and Russia in the east, and all Ashkenaz rabbis, there's this, he calls it a kibbutz chachamim, which he felt, you know, included the traditional rabbis, which he felt was the overwhelming majority, and he was probably right at that time. There was still the overwhelming majority of rabbis were the traditional type, of the Chassam Seifer's type. Um, reform uh, and progressive rabbis were still in the minority in the early 1800s. And he says that this this opposition, has we have to close ranks, and there's no changes in Ashkenaz halacha, and we have to be firm about you know, imposing this halacha, there's no local tradition, you can't rely on, on any deviation from the tradition, this is what Ashkenaz is, this is the collective halachic tradition of Ashkenaz, and we have to be very firm and clear about it, the only way to change anything is if this kibbutz chachamim, this somewhat like ultra bezdin of all, he calls, he calls the, the, the Ashkenaz geographical area a, a ir gedayla, a one large collective city, and all the rabbis of Ashkenaz in that area are as if they're on the bezdin of that city. Um, and if they, anything needs to be changed, then it has to be done with their consultation. They, they, they'll form this ultra bezdin and, 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 and they can change it. But, you know, if, if that, if, and, and, and obviously he felt that, that that would prevent any change because 
they were all traditional rabbis, um, and this would this would form a formidable force against reform, against changes, and this would be a very very effective method of 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 confronting the challenges of modernity that were brought about through all these instances that I mentioned. Um, Another story at the same time, and this was again with the legacy of the Psak of the Naidi Yehuda hovering in the background, regarded a the permissibility of a nursing mother remarrying while she's nursing her child. And uh, the Naidi Yehuda tended to be more lenient in this regard. And the, the Chassam Seifer said, no way, the Ramah said, and, the, and, and we all Ashkenaz uh, have to go with the Ramah. And, and, uh, and he felt that uh, other uh, rabbis of his own generation who were in the progressive or liberal or reform uh, camp were using this Naidi Behuda to take this permissibility even further. And he said, no, 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 we're drawing the lines. The lines of battle are drawn clear. We have a kibbutz chachamim of Ashkenaz who follow the Ramah, and we have this collective identity, and uh, we have to close ranks around this halachic tradition and the customs of Ashkenaz and against any change and against any of this reform to halacha and the new tendencies of the modern era. So from the young rabbi who is sticking up for local tradition of Frankfurt, now we have the Chassam Seifer who sees a very different threat and he acts accordingly, which is completely understandable under the circumstances that now we have to uh, somewhat ignore local custom and form this collective identity. That's all in the early years of the Chassam Seifer in Preshburg, and from that we move to stage three. Stage three is the pessimism of the Chassam Seifer that he was experiencing and was very expressive about it in the last decade of his life, in the 1830s, and the halachic ramifications of that pessimism. He saw in the last decade of his life, on one hand, his status as an undisputed leader in Paisik in the traditional Jewish world in Central Europe was, was quite Quite significant. He, he, he finally reached the pinnacle of his uh, leadership and influence. And, um, but at the same time, the changes in Jewish traditional society in Central Europe by the 1830s, the inroads that modernity was making, uh, the modern era, especially in the Habsburg Empire in Germany, um, it was starting to lead towards secularization. And the responses of many of the rabbis at the time was to shift towards liberalism, towards progressive, uh, to changing halacha, to reforming halacha. And many of the, many, some of these rabbis were even students of the Naidi Behuda, or even of the Chassam Seifer himself. His own, some of his own students from Preshburg had gone bad, had gone towards reform. Um, and this, the Chassam Seifer led to him to believe that rabbinic leadership um, cannot be relied upon anymore. Um, in this context, it's worth mentioning, I think I did mention it in previous episodes, the long, long, decades-long dispute that the Chassam Seifer um, had with a, a, a very uh, famous student of the Night of Yehuda who had gone towards reform, a fellow by the name of Aaron Churin, who is the rabbi of Arad in Transylvania for 55 years, and he was a very, very vocal opponent of the Chassam Seifer, and he, he kind of like personifies the mirror image of the Chassam Seifer. He, he disputes him on everything. Chassam Seifer stands for tradition. Churin stands for reform. Um, and they fight about everything. But it's a very, very unique type of rabbinic dispute. Why? Because this, is, this last three decades of the Chassam Seifer's life is, overlaps with a very unique period in rabbinical history, which lasted about three decades and has never really returned. Um, and 
And and this coincides, obviously, like I said, with the Chassam Sefer's last three decades of his life. What happened then? What happens is, is that progressive rabbis who grew up and were trained in the traditional sense, like I said, some of them were the students of Chassam Sefer himself or the Naidi Yehuda, and now they're attempting to reform halacha, make it compatible, so to speak, with the modern era, and they're utilizing the tools of halacha and the tools of psak in a very traditional sense in order to confront the external challenges of modernity and the internal changes in the Jewish community from within. In other words, they're writing these learned responsa. They're authoring lumdish etchuvas that would permit the change of halacha. And within a generation, this type of rabbinic reform would vanish because as secularization progressed so quickly in the Jewish community, future secularization would not feel the need to use the halachic method or the rabbinic method or the lumdish method to justify the abandonment of halacha, of traditional Judaism. They would just just go to full secularization. That's what would happen in the ensuing generations in the 19th century in Central Europe and then eventually in Eastern Europe in the 20th century, in the United States in the 20th century. So the Chassam Seifer's halachic maneuvers, which were a response to people like Huron, not only, but people like him, that we're about to examine, they would almost become obsolete soon because they were responding to a very, very specific circumstance, a very, very unique idea in the rabbinic world where there's learned rabbis using the halachic method to reform the halacha from within. And the Chassam Seifer is responding to that. Yet, Chassam Seifer used it and wrote like that and delivered psak like that in halacha, which we're about to see. And they would play an outsized role, and by the way, they continue to play an outsized role in the development of orthodoxy as a movement to confront the challenges of modernity in the traditional Jewish world, for sure in Central Europe, where the students of Chassam Sefer continued that legacy of the last decade of his life, and to a certain extent until this very day. And what is that? Chassam Sefer sees this world collapsing, that you can no longer rely on rabbinic authority, because the rabbis that he saw were going bad. They're going towards reform. So he starts using mechanisms of halacha to strengthen the halacha. What does he do? One of the things he does, he starts upgrading everything to doiraisa, to make it that the Torah itself forbids it, not that it's the Rabbanan. And he calls it a neder doiraisa. Many, many chuvas. He talks about second day yantif. It's really doiraisa. Certain forms of kinyan, of acquisition of property. It's really doiraisa. Even Dina de Malchusadin, the law of the land, in specific instances, the, the Chassam Zaifer says it's really the Raisa. You thought it was the Rabbanan, it's only rabbin, rabbinically mandated, it's really Torah mandated. The, the holidays of Hanukkah and Purim are really the Raisa. It's Neder the Raisa. The Jewish community collectively has their custom to act in a specific way, and that creates a Dairaisa reality, that creates a Torah-mandated reality, and he uses it in various other laws, which until recently had been considered only rabbinical law, or even of custom. But in order to strengthen tradition against those who were trying to do away with tradition, Rechazam Seifer felt that he had to do this. And the Jewish people, he said, he said the Jewish people collectively, as a community, create with their own activity, with their own custom, the 
the nether. He says they do it, if they're doing things in a specific way, that makes it as if it's an oath, it's a vow, it's a nether. The community and its customs become holy, and you can never renege those customs. It becomes derisive, it becomes that as if the Torah mandated it. And once they're accepted and practiced by the collective community, so it really does get upgraded to a derisa. He says this, expresses this idea regarding non-milk uh, uh, that was not supervised, the milking process was not supervised by a Jew, what we refer to as chalav akum. So he says, a very interesting idea, though some cipher, he says, if chalav akum is objectively forbidden, then it would only be an iser derabonah, it would only be rabbinically forbidden. Uh, a rabbinic mandate that forbids it. But if objectively, halachically objectively, it's permitted, then it would be asr midairaisa. Then it would be as if the Torah itself forbids it. Why? Because the community, the Jewish community as a collective whole, does not consume chalavakum. They do not drink this type of milk. So therefore, it's a neder. It becomes as if the community assume, assumes this as a neder, and they re- refrain from consuming such milk products. And therefore, it becomes dairaisa. And he says the same thing regarding uh, certain types of uh, hair coverings for women. He says the holy Jewish women have the custom to do things in this way, so it becomes the law, and therefore one must be more stringent in this regard. There's a fascinating story that is cited in the Chassam Seifer biographies about the Chassam Seifer was, I don't know if he was traveling or vacationing, he happened to be in some, you know, favorfana, some village uh, that was far away from many you know, mainstream Torah community, and a simple villager who was hosting the Chassam Seifer critiqued the Chassam Seifer's custom, some halachic custom, because the, the simple villager, who might have even been illiterate, definitely not a Torah scholar, he remembered that his father's custom was different. So he said that this, this rabbi thinks he's such a great rabbi, but he's doing something that my father uh, didn't do. So he, he, obvi- he clearly, this great rabbi, clearly does not, not know the halacha. So instead of getting insulted, the Chassam Seifer said, this person is right. He's doing what his father did. And he started to refer to this in many of his writings as the Kedushas Yisrael, the holiness of the Jewish community, or the Atzmus Yisrael, the essence of the Jewish community. And he even expressed it very sharply in one instance. He said they should listen to their parents and not to the rabbis. And the pessimism that is expressed in that in that sharp saying of his, is derived from the fact that the Chassam Seifer was surveying in his last years the rabbinical scene, and he said, you can't be guaranteed to trust the rabbinical leadership anymore because they're all becoming reformers in Central Europe. Again, we're talking about Central Europe. But the Atzimus Yisrael, the essence of the Jewish people and their holy customs, are going to last forever. And that's always going to be a guaranteed good fallback option, turning inward, turning back to simplicity, the Jewish home, the Jewish family, the customs of their mother and father, that's what's holy, and that's what remains in lieu of problematic rabbinical leadership. He had this tradition of, of, of delivering a drusha, a speech or lecture, to his community in Preshburg on the 7th of Adar every year in honor of Moshe Rabbeinu's yard site. And in many years, all the earlier years, he would speak about tzaddikim, Tzadik, the greatness of a tzaddik, the greatness of tzaddikim. And if, you, if one takes a look in his speeches on Zion Adar, on the 7th of Adar in the 1830s, he takes a different direction. It's a dramatic shift. He doesn't talk about a tzaddik or the tzaddikim collectively, rather the collective of the Jewish people. 
He says the Atzmas of Yisrael, that's the, really the true tzaddik. That's the true everlasting tzaddik. The Jewish people as a collective. And that also is a reflection of this shift in his thinking. So rather than see this as a paradox in the Chassam Sefer, like he couldn't make up his mind, he keeps on changing his approach to halacha, I see that as the beauty of his leadership and his understanding of reality and the changing context around him and his being able to continually give a strong and confident response through the prism of halacha to the changing world that he uh, was leading. So this is Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda, Yehuda, Geber, Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com for questions, comments, sources, tours, trips, sponsorships, and lectures. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on, on your favorite podcast platform, and I hope you enjoyed.